0: the most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Looking for a mobile measurement partner or like the cool kids like to say, an MMP? Well, we've got you covered with our partner, airbridge.io. Experience an unparalleled accurate and unified view of your mobile marketing performance, even in today's dynamic landscape shaped by privacy changes. What's more, AirBridge has recently launched MMM Studio, setting a new standard as the only MMP offering a self-service marketing mix modeling solution. Say goodbye to guesswork and hello to data insights. Learn more by going to their website, airbridge.io. That once again is airbridge.io. Notix is an audience re-engagement service based on web and in-app push notifications that work for both desktop and mobile devices. With Notix, website app owners and marketers can share their content and interact with their audiences in a highly engaging channel while still having the opportunity to monetize both mobile and web subscribers. Learn more by visiting notix.co. That is N O T I X dot CO. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of appmasters.com, fresh off the. I just interviewed with David Bernard from Revenue Cat and Sub Club. So that podcast will be out soon. And today we've got a phenomenal guest. We're going to talk all about AI. Look, it's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. How? But how can you use it to increase your app engagement and joining me today is joe sheppi he is the ceo and co-founder of solston and we're going to learn all about that right now welcome to the show joe
1: thanks steve good to meet so, you you like that snazzy intro what do you think? That's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've been <laughs> on some podcasts lately and I'm like, this guy's killing it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. been doing it 10 plus years. Hey, I want to say hi yeah. to a few people. Let them know I see them. What's up, Angelina? Kevin's here. We got Waruna. David from Nigeria. We got a like really diverse. Eric. Hey, Eric. San Jose. Hit me up, bro. I'm out here. And then George is here. Patrick. What's up, fam? Fam is Fridays with that master's show. Since you're new here. Venezuela. All right. What's up, Luis? And then we got a lot of people saying hi. So hi, Jay. And then Nurex as well. All right, Joe, let's break it down. So I'm going to bring up your website, but let's break it down. Like we typically talk about this and you you say like, hey, stop thinking in numbers. Start thinking human instead. Tell me a little bit more about that, Joe.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if we look across all the different industries that are being, you know, Leverage right now. If we look at apps, for example, look at what happened with like ATT and and SDK. You know, app basically tracking going away. Um, and what happened with IDFA and, and as a part of that. Um, you know, we look to how do we create great experiences? How do we do good marketing? How do we build products? And really, at the end of the day, if you look at like the landscape of of artificial intelligence today, or if you look at the landscape of product development, a lot of people got comfortable with really depending on focusing on. The just the data and what was coming from behaviors and product usage. And then, like, this SDK thing happened, or sorry, um, IDFA thing happened and just threw everybody off. And they're like, okay, how do we go back to really understanding our audience? And what we kind of focus on at Solston is Solston's an AI that through gameplay, through how people play games, as many of us know, uh, about 3 billion people in the world play games every day. Uh, we're able to take that behavior and kind of in the same way Google was like, we're going to build the the cognitive or the, the, we're going to make everything searchable. Um, Solson's really building the cognitive layer of the internet. So how do we mm-hmm. take all this behavior and then understand people and then power app developers, uh, game developers to actually understand the human behind the user so that we can really focus on things that matter like, uh, retention engagement, um, and build experiences that have a lot of longevity to them.
0: So that's a, how does it all work, Joe? Like, is it an SDK, like to break it down for me, like the practical sure. side of things
1: too. Yeah. So how how Solston works is um, if you've ever taken like the ACT or SAT, if you're in, in the U.S., <laughs> it's like an adaptive you. assessment, so to mm-hmm. speak. So what we're doing is people are playing a game or using an app. There's a an interstitial or a pop up, and it says, "Hey, we want to improve your experience." Mm-hmm. They they take that, and what it actually is, it's a it's a scientific grade psych assessment. Uh, we measure about 300 different psychological traits, everything from your motivations to your personality, your values cultural attributes um and it's constantly learning so as you're answering questions it's actually learning about you as you're doing it that's like our sample baseline and then what we do next is um there's a saying that i love it's it's show me how you play and i'll tell you who you are i used to be an adventure-based psychotherapist and you know we we know for example that if you do things in non-play environments just to have like a new synapse form, it takes about 400 repetitions. If you do something in a play environment, it only takes about 20. Um, if you look at how people play and the actions that they take when they play, they're much more indicative or representative of the actual person. So the next thing we do is while people are playing games, for example, um, we take this, this data and then we start to predict using that initial sample as like our, our basis of truth. Um, we're, we're doing two things. We're predicting like what groups they fit in from a like-mindedness. Perspective. So, not based on behavior, not based on um, their demographics, but really who they are. And it's kind of like a real time Harry Potter sorting hat where it's like, ooh, there's a group of people in this experience that are super courageous and fearless and value nature and culturally they're individualistic. And this has all these implications in terms of how we design and, and build for them and do marketing for them. So, what we're able to do is understand basically the landscape of the audience. And then the second part is we are just literally directly assessing traits from play, like, oh, that person rebuilt their base pretty quickly. Well, what does that mean? And is there statistical significance there that lines up with like the uh, original assessment that we send out? And so what ends up on the other end of it is basically as a uh, app developer, as a game designer, you all of a sudden have a real time pulse on who your audience actually is, uh, as human beings, not just, uh, you know, 45 year old males that like, I don't know, McDonald's and here's some demographic information too. So it's, it's gives us like such a rich picture of your audience.
0: Yeah. I know you might not be able to share all your great case studies out there, Joe, but is there an example that you have that kind of like, you're like, Hey, you know, we had this data set, we used it and they did X, Y, and Z live ops, whatever it was to help improve engagement or monetization.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that happens across basically every single one of the the customers that we that we work with. So where it usually starts is we go to the the customer and say, "What's your number one thing right now?" And one of the things we have noticed is. You know, since the IDFA deprecation happened, there's been a much bigger focus on retention uh, than before. You know, you can't just retarget people and bring them back into your experience as easily as we once could. So retention, 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 um, everything from like big MMO games like EVE Online, you know, they'll come to us and say, we're 20 year old game. We've been doing this forever. We've A-B tested everything you can imagine. Um, how do we get day seven retention up? And we go, okay, let's let's look at the data. And we notice, for example, there's a bunch of people that were really high on altruism that weren't making it through the first seven days. So through our API, you can then take those IDs and then match them up against experiences or part of the experience where they're able then to basically engage in altruistic acts. So, hey, help a guild member, help a friend, help a... And then they come back to us and go, are, we're having 20% more people literally make it through the, the first seven days. So it's a quantum leap that happens. And what effectively is going on is you're going from a behavioral and demographic reality to a cognitive behavioral reality. So you're able to mm. just touch upon the experience that much better. Um, we just had similar thing happen with a game called Heyday. Uh, many of you yeah, might have heard hey of it. Big yeah. game. Yeah. So similar thing. We're assessing the audience, looking at the different traits in the audience, and then optimizing the experience based on that. Um, their day seven retention um, went well beyond what what they were expecting it to go up. Um, they kind of wanted a tenth of a percent, and it went, I think, twenty two percent or something like that. So uh, it's it's you know and those are retention focused efforts. But really how it ends up getting used, we say like Solston's limited to two things, um, the imagination of the company that we're working with and their tech stack. So, Mm. I mean, people use Solston to do everything from like player matching. So you're matching based on the psychology of players, not just like whether they're winning or losing uh, personalized offers. So people will go, hey, I'm going to send out, you know, this this new item and i'm going to send it to the the dominant people in the game and you know buy this thing and crush your enemies or you'll send it to the people in the game that are you know more collaborative hey buy this thing and help your guild and they'll say okay conversion went way up um we've had people like bigger companies use it for um intake for customer support where the support person will get the communication style of of the user actually and um we had one company come back and said our nps scores went up 30 points and we did a what? study on it and I'm like, well, what was the study? Cause they were like confused if it was, you know, erroneous. And they said, what ended up happening is all the all of our customers thought that we literally um changed out our customer support team. Like we hired a completely different group of people. Same customer support team. The only difference wow. was they saw the communication style of the person. And the feedback was that the the users felt more heard. They felt more heard now by the company uh, and listened to. Nothing, nothing fundamentally changed other than the fact that the people on the business side actually had their communication style. So there's a broad sort of application list there. Same with marketing and creative. Um, Mm -hmm. We get into that world a lot where, especially now we know that um, creative optimization is one of the best things you can absolutely do to really, you know, make sure you're bringing in your ideal customer profile, bringing in your ideal user from the start, because that's the person that you're going to be able to nurture the easiest as well. So we had a, a game, for example, where, Across all the traits we measure, their VP of marketing basically saw that in their specific game, um, that that caring and family were like two of the highest values of like the 70 values we measure, um, and it was within their their ideal customer profile. So there's other customer profiles, there are other groups in their experience, but this was from like their ideal group that they knew was scaling and growing within the experience. And um, this this game was used to be called, or is called Dragon Dragonvale. Um, and they couldn't beat the red baby dragon. It was always like, anything <laughs> we do, if we put red baby dragon, it works really well. Um, Their VP of marketing came back and said, hey, like, can we just put baby dragon with family caring about it? And they got 34% uh, increase in conversions um, wow. compared to anything that they'd had in the last eight years. So order of magnitude shift. And But all that was happening was you're taking the values of the person That you actually want to bring in, you're taking those and you're just creating. This is nothing, you know, this is the Mad Men days of marketing. Like you're just (laughs) actually really understanding your audience and building for them. And I think we drifted away from that because we got too comfortable with machines optimizing things and tracking stuff. And so the the new era, I think, is really about, um, you know, understanding our, our customers.
0: Joe, first off, your website's amazing. I love websites that do this stuff. Like, Thank it's, you. A, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Eric's got a question, Joe. He says, says, Solston sounds fantastic. How many DAUs, daily active users, does an app need to work with Solston successfully? And who's the Solston target audience? Like,
1: a, it's like doing your work for you. Thanks, right. Eric. Exactly yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Eric. Thanks, um, Eric. So we, we can work with companies that are pre-launch or building, um, we have a product called Navigator. So everybody that ends up in our database, so that was measured psychologically, you're given a unique ID. Um, one of Solson's principles is, is privacy is power. So we never track personally identifiable uh, information. Um, this is also why a lot of big companies like to work with us because they're able to separate identity data from sensitive data, which is the, the psychological data. And so our Navigator product, uh, basically you can have zero DAU. What that is is say you're developing something new and you're like, you know, it's um the, the number one um, app in the uh, game store for sports right now is NFL Rivals. They came to us and said, we're going to build a game uh, off of NFL IP, but we want people who are like into crypto as well. So oh, we can go into our database and say, you know, here's 20,000 people that we've collected across all of these experiences who have told us that they're, into into NFL, um, the IP in some sort of way, shape or form, and that they're into crypto in some way, shape or form. And then you're able to actually see that audience. I think part of our job as entrepreneurs is to figure out where the world is going and meet them there. So they're actually already able to know who those people are. And they built that entire experience off of that. And then that's part of what helps it You know, when you go in and you already have that product that they didn't even know that they wanted and it's there. Um, So we can work at that on the live product, kind of the Eve online example, the personalization stuff. um, And we've had some pretty interesting uh, non-gaming companies do things there as well. So with, with gaming developers and game companies are um, in terms of like uh, how do you get the most out of traits? That's our live product. Uh, you're, you're definitely going to want to be a game game developer for the most part. Um, We can start to work with, with live products when it's around a thousand DAU. So it doesn't have to be a oh, huge, not, a yeah, huge sample size at all. all. Yeah. Um, to do the psychological prediction work, we need about 5,000 profiles. So that being, that being said, so we're able to sample the audience pretty well around a thousand DAU to get 5,000 profiles. Typically speaking, our assessment is about 10% of daily active users will will take that on the first day. And it's kind of just like a biological sample, like we don't need to do it across the audience or things like that. But given that, that sort of gives you a picture of, you know, if we want to get to about 5000 people, well, we probably need about a 50,000 person DAU, where you're actually measuring everybody based on the, the AI. So that's kind of, that gives you a spread there. But already just with like a thousand people, um, you're going to get a really representative example of who your audience is. And what a lot of customers do when they're in soft launch or when the app's smaller, they buy a navigator audience because they go like, who's the bigger market that's here? Like is NFL, NFL crypto people, who's that? And then they'll, they'll measure the smaller group and what they'll be able to see is, are we actually bringing in the highest spending highest LTV. Um, we also have a proprietary metric called a, a user centered score or a player centered score that measures the um, LTV likelihood over like a long period of time, plus the actual uh, biopsychosocial benefit that your game has or product has on that person. So what's kind of cool about that is it's actually saying like, you know um, maybe for you, NFL is a, uh, or NFL rivals is actually going to help you sleep better at night or help psychologically in terms of depression, anxiety or um, help with your social life. And so it's actually predicting is this product and that's, is it beneficial for you? And that's part of why Solston exists. We're asking how do we make technology more regenerative for people? Um, how do we make a world where you leave technology going, you know, I feel like I got more out of that than I, than I put in. I'm um, probably like listening to, you know steve's episodes and and <laughs> shows you know you, you feel energized by it you leave it you're like this was awesome um so you know that's part of our our goal there but what's cool about those metrics is it, it leads to much more sustainable products as well so that's one of our goals like you just don't want to build an app and then uh you know a year later two years later like we'll use game of war as an example that game made a lot of money but it's not around anymore um mm. clash of clans was also making the same amount of money back then. And if you look today, they're still making, you know, close to a billion a year, year over year. And they've been doing that for 10 years now. That's a much better business than a game that spikes, drops. And that's, I, I used to know um, uh, one of the the head of game game design at that machine zone who did Game of War. And uh, actually their, their VP of data is a very good friend still. Um, and so... You look at the strategy they had. They actually said, like, they got to point. The reason they did those Super Bowl commercials, they literally churned through every single person they could have possibly found in, in Facebook. So they had to start actually looking for users outside of it. And so, you know, in a way, the way the way we see it is um, sustainability and really kind of like building that foundation. Like that's part of the new UA strategy. That's part of the new marketing strategy is retention is building environments that people can stay in over a period of time. So, yeah, working with us, um, you know, we can start from zero. We also have a, a Solston, we call it an accelerator program, where we work with uh, startups or smaller companies that might be pre-revenue. And so we have programs for that where you can come in at a, a free level. And then if you raise money or with profitability, um, our model kicks in. But That's we cool. try to make it easy for all different tiers of companies to to start to understand their audience better.
0: Hey Joe, if I can stick with the NFL rivals example a little yeah. bit. So they came to you and said, Hey, we want, you know, NFL people, but people who understand crypto. And then how did, how did your Solson kind of take that and be like, well, we should talk about X, Y, and Z in our creatives. Or I mean, how does that all work? Is it, do they need to already be launched or could you have done it like before pre-launched?
1: Yeah, it's all pre, so this was all pre launch So Interesting. every time we assess somebody in a game, so let's say, let's say you're playing, I don't know, um, Fortnite, we'll just use that example. We sure. don't work with Fortnite just to be, <laughs> just to be clear, but a lot of people play Fortnite. So like, let's say you're, you're playing Fortnite and you know, there's a, a pop-up and it says, we want to improve your, your experience for you. You take that questionnaire at the end of that process. So that questionnaire, it's about 75% of it psychometric. So that's the, that's basically your, your personality, your cultural attributes, your values. And then some of it's also um, survey based. So like, Your pain points with the game, things like that. So that's basically this profile that comes together. Well, about twenty five percent of it, it is demographic and it is sentiment based too. So we ask you, like, you know, what are your favorite brands? What are your favorite movies? What are your favorite IPs? All those sort of things. Um, And then what we're doing is in the game, we are also able to uh, attribute uh, any sort of like, you know, if you if you purchase something in the game, and we know, okay, this person purchases, I don't know, swords a ton. Like you can start to attribute. Different information to different profiles. And the way to think of it is like, uh, um, you know, if you've used mid journey, or some of these like other AI tools, where you're generating images or something like that, you know, you're taking this huge swath of, of data of interaction data, and then you're building out profile attributes. So people who are lower on on openness, for example, are more likely to be from oslo like that's actually true but you know there you can actually start to learn like location interests, things like that based on who people are um and so from that so from those questionnaires when those profiles happen those individuals end up in our database so if we think of this from a gdpr perspective well it's, joe it's, if i
0: can interrupt like how yeah. do we know how do we get that
1: data these people to fill out the form if we're, our game isn't launched yet yeah, yeah. So, so, okay. so what happens is, so all of these profiles are coming from live games. So first party. data. Oh, I see. Yeah. And then if the game isn't launched yet, if the product isn't launched yet, Solson basically has the largest psychological database in the world. So kind of going back to the fact that 3 billion people play games on a daily right. basis. So that's three fourths of the global technology consumers, only 4 billion people have smartphones. So then let's say your NFL rivals and you come to Solson, Hey, we're building this new NFL game. What we're going to do is query our database from all the people that came from those live games kind of cross. And we're going to be able to say, yeah, we have 30,000 profiles who, you know, and they'll give us criteria. They're like uh, anybody who played Madden games, for example, anybody who said NFL is one of their favorite brands. Mm -hmm. So you can give us criteria for that. Like um, Fall Guys, for example, uh, one of the things they did, they said, hey, we're going to go to free to play. We're not going to be just a PC game anymore can we get an audience of people that played all of these game mechanics, but have never played fall guys before and only play free to play. Mm. So you can give us like a pretty rich target. And then what we're able to come back with is like, I was just talking to Disney the other week and <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we have over 300,000 people in, you know, the database that we know play Disney plus or use Disney plus, sorry. Um, they use Disney plus. And then what we're able to do is basically you get this dashboard and it's kind of like, Here's the different personas. Here's the different psychological groups. Here's their motivations. Here's the IP that they're interested in. So from the start, you have a really clear idea of of who they are. And then during the development process, what a game like NFL Rival does, um, which is, this is super cool. I wish I used to be the head of UX at uh, Big Fish Games out in Seattle. Um, One of the things I wish we had back then. So as they're developing the game, like, let's say they're like, what art style should we use? What theme should we use? What interface, like what UI style should we use? We're actually able to test all those things, so we have an internal lab. Um, we're also we also have a, a, another. Um, you know, if you're if you have your own lab or if you have your own research team, we're able to work in that context too. What we call it is our typing tool. So you're actually able to see, hey, you know, for persona one, that they're actually the biggest part of the market. There's about 200 million of them. Um, they're the high. They spend the most on apps every month. They actually had no usability problems in our play testing. But Persona 4 had all the usability problems. And by the way, when you guys recruited for playtesting, nine out of the 10 playtesters were in Persona 4. And we Mm -hmm. see that all the time with a lot of bigger companies where, I mean, we had this at at Big Fish. Our whole playtesting group was nothing representative of our ideal audience. You know, these are professional playtesters. They're there for the Amazon gift cards. You know, these are very different than the the people that are like actually part of that, that audience. Good for usability problems. But what's able to happen then is, While you're going through the development stage, it's almost like you're developing alongside the market so that Mm. by the time you get your product to market, you just get to meet them. And then what happens is within a couple of weeks, you're, you know, sports games, number one in the app store for sports, you know, so it's, it's, and that we've repeated that process several times now. So it's, it's just great
0: you kind of help the process. Cause I work with a lot of companies who will put out these personas, right. And be like, Hey, this is Maggie. She has a kid and this is the type of person she likes this. And then we go out, but I don't actually know where that data is coming from and how they're yeah. making that thing. But now you're like, Hey, here's all the data. Go find Maggie and sort of informs how you're going to go target people on, let's say Facebook or Instagram or even TikTok. You know, it kind of helps all that stuff. Cause I found that the more targeted you can be the, you know, the higher those conversions and the, the longer to stay.
1: Yeah. I think one of the most dangerous things about launching an app, especially these days is people will mistake um, early engagement. If you don't actually understand who your ideal audience, who your ICP is, your ideal customer profile, and you start to see engagement data early on, what can happen is companies can end up focusing on that group of people. And now you start to optimize an AB test and iterate for that group of people. And then what can happen is months later, you come to Solston and say, hey, we have like about 30,000 daily active users and our, our product's just not scaling. And we'll right. say, let's have a look. And we'll assess that audience and say, you know, there's only about 80,000 people in the entire market that actually fit this group of people. Or did you know that um, this group of people spends on average 3 to $4 a month on apps? But you know, all those features that you made that basically what they're doing is they're pushing out this same group of people also really like this IP and they spend $50 a month on apps, but they're like way different personalities. So right. you're actually excluding them. So starting with, you know, how are we thinking about scale? Starting with what's, if we think of um, Monopoly Solitaire was another one. They came to us and there's a company called Mobilityware and said, hey, we, we bought Monopoly IP. What should we do? Um, you know, and, and they had a, they had a strong hypothesis. They said, you know, we make solitaire games. We think that's a good idea. And so we said, okay, let's, let's look at that. Let's look at an audience of people that like monopoly and also play solitaire. Interesting group of people. And we looked at the different personas. Um, when you just took the monopoly audience, the, the highest LTV group, the biggest group, the one that spent the most money solitaire was not in their like top 10 list of games. Mm. So we probably don't want to make that game for them. However, there was another persona in there who also spent a significant amount, market size was well over 100 million people, looked at that group, and Solitaire, um, one of the major Solitaire games was their second most played game. We said, here's our people. So we started out with a really clear idea of who our market was and who that audience was and what their motivations were, all this sort of stuff. And it was actually interesting, their, their VP of marketing said, "You know, our game team has a really different idea of what game they want to build compared to what the audience looks like. And I said, that's okay. Like if you guys can afford to build two prototypes and let's Mm. test them, let's just, let's, let's test them against the audience. And the Solston version ended up performing significantly better. I mean, it's, it's your audience that's there. They made the game. Um, This is, I think their, their second highest grossing product they have uh, at the company now, you know, in terms of revenue. So it's, I mean, It's kind of crazy. Um, And their VP of marketing is great. He's like, Joe, sometimes this is like, it feels so simple. It's stupid because it feels like common sense. Um, But common sense isn't, isn't always common. And I think it's, it's the hard thing sometimes to do to take a step back because we want to build, we want to create, we want to move forward. But sometimes taking that step back to really intimately get to know who is the optimal group on the other side of the market. And we invest so much energy into building apps, building products, building games, That to me, it's always like, why are we not building this towards the optimal optimal outcome? So yeah, pretty cool to see.
0: This is crazy because you never think like these two things. I had a client back in the day, Joe, where it was like uh, words. It was kind of like solitaire meets you know Scrabble. But then we were kind of just. He was like, "This is a great idea," and I, I loved the gameplay. I loved everything about it, but it couldn't. It just
1: didn't work. Maybe it was just. There wasn't enough overlap. We didn't have
0: Solston to tell us, hey, there's not enough overlap with these
1: groups. Well, that's that's a perfect example. And you know, so one of the things I love about what we do is we get to empower entrepreneurs who yes. typically like they have a really good insight or there's something that's there. And let's say that, you know, that exact example. We pull up that dashboard and we say, Yeah, you know what? There's one big market here, and this is the IP that they love. It's stranger things. Can we, mm. can we, I mean, that's just an example, but can oh, we cross, great example. can we yep. go and pull in that IP or if we can't pull that IP because we don't have enough money, can we build tropes around that? Can we build that vibe in the product? And all of a sudden we're like, Hey, wait, um, organic is happening. We're not even having our, our CPIs just went way down. And cause that's what we see when, when you really leverage the correct, like theme art style IP it really, it, it drives CPI down and it drives ROAS up. It drives your LTV data up because now people are actually moving into it based on things they care about and they stick better. If I really care about Monopoly, if I'm like a Monopoly fanatic, I'm going to spend way more time like trying to like that game or like that. Like everyone's had like a band they love and then right. they come out with like a bad album and they're like, you're still really trying to like, you're going to listen to that album at least a few times because you're like, I really want to like this album, you know, so you you get a lot of leverage when you actually design things into people's um, I, value systems, especially um, values are even deeper than brand affinities, you know, sometimes those like people's values correlate with, with the brands yeah. um, where you can see some interesting data. there. like, Hey, everybody who likes this brand is actually they're really high on valuing respect. That's interesting, but, and you can kind of see the brand values and their values connect and that's how we help brands too. But if you look at, you know, if I'm, debi- if I'm designing to your personality, to your values, you know, if, if you're a super, super extroverted person and you're coming into experience and it's, you know, crickets and quiet and, and it's probably not going to resonate and you're in a nook and there's a book and one person by themselves. self. Um, but if you're introverted, great, you know, and some games have a lot of mix, but we do see games, for example, like we had one game we started working with where they're like, yeah, our, our early retention day one retention is just like terrible. Like what, what do we do? Once we get people past day one, things go, go really well. And mm-hmm. so we look at the audience and, their level of empathy was like off the charts. So it's very, very high statistically compared to other other groups. And um, this game in particular, uh, basically, so what, one of the things we know about people that are high on empathy in terms of engagement is the more facial expressions you have. Uh, they tend to engage more. So this is whether we're talking <laughs> about creative ads, yeah. um, things like that, especially with, babies or younger things yeah um so that's something that you know if we see that in the data that gives us a lot of insight from marketing first-time experience well this game um people only got murdered in it uh and so the, <laughs> the first time user experience was basically it was, it was a murder mystery game um you didn't the first person it uh, was already <laughs> done with they were gone so you didn't get a chance to help them you didn't get a chance and there's very little facial expressions that were being shown in it too. So they were completely missing the boat on who their actual audience was and who was coming into the game. And you can kind of come to it from like, Hey, these are mystery people. These are people that are into that genre or into that style. And you can go out guns blazing. Like it's 2016. That doesn't work anymore. Like we Mm -hmm. get to see all these games get built and all these products go to market and just year over year, we measure UX metrics too. Um, usability, the baseline keeps getting higher and higher and higher. So, like, it's just that's a baseline now. That's not UX. That's just like yes. your product needs to be usable. But what we also see from from the whole market is focused attention levels keep getting lower and lower and lower. So you're now competing from an attention perspective, which a lot of people don't realize, more than you ever were before. Um, you're competing against the other games, other apps, TVs. And also other experiences that post COVID people are more, you know, think you know, thank God getting more into being outside again. And, you know, you're competing against all that. And so how are you thinking about integrating into a day in the life of your, of your user? And a lot of people got used to COVID a day in the life is screen time during COVID. Um, that's not, that's not the natural way that humans like to live and that's just, which is a good thing. And so, you know, how are you, we have, Another customer, for example, who expert team had built several highly successful, high revenue games before um, the The team's really close. They'd done it many times. They built them all on behind their computer. It was a mobile game and um, didn't understand why metrics weren't, weren't working out. Uh, the play sessions were around 20 minutes, a play session. Um, did research on it, figured out that everybody who had that affinity towards that IP that side it was, a, it was a cooking game. That side mm. type of things, um, they're actually only using their apps, pulling out their phones when they're at bus stops, um, on the toilet, bathroom. <laughs> so what does that mean for play sessions? That means you know, ho- hopefully something that's less than three minutes. You know, you, <laughs> you know, because all of a sudden you're there and you're just you know, where did John go? John's missing. He's, he's in the bathroom. He's, you know, but, and that probably, you know, that does happen, right? But, you know, it's, it's one of the things that they weren't doing is matching that to the reality of the actual user.
0: I love it. Joe, I like to think of myself as a highly empathetic person. So I was very curious when you're know, like, we noticed, and I'm like, bang on the head. I do look at that. Like I vibe off of people off Mm -hmm. of like their vocal tone, their facial expressions. And that's what gets me going up going too. And so when you said that, I was like, Oh, that, that I feel that I feel that. Yeah.
1: And so, yeah, if you came into experience and we knew that about you, it's like, you're going to feel like, Hey, this is for me where there, I mean, there's people that are lower on that and that's, you know, all those facial expressions are going to freak them out. They can't, you know, they can't handle it all. (laughs) Um, that, yeah, I, know a... I never realized that. Like my facial expressions and my vocal tone
0: might be like putting some people. On. Yeah. Whoa, too much. <laughs> yeah, you too know. much, bro. Yeah. All right, Eric's got a question. What are the Solston personality quiz type? Were they like interstitials? They appear to users in a game. Do we control when and what is
1: asked to? Yep. So we work with the like we work with the product or the game company. So for the ninety-five percent of the time, it's an interstitial uh, pop-up. Uh, Hey, we want to improve your player experience. It's inside the game. The user clicks on that. And what happens at that point is actually they get pulled out of the game. Um, This is where we pass the user. Maybe this is a little too technical, but we pass the user ID as an encrypted uh, variable. So this is the moment where their game identity, their personal identity gets separated on our side. So from a GDPR perspective, we do this uh, to separate identity. They go through our process, and then at the very end of it, they click on a, a deep link that takes them back into the game or into the experience. Um, so that deep link, I think about 80% of our customers do do something rewarded. So here's your five gems or here's your 10 power-ups or things like that. Um, we don't see huge differences in engagement if um, that's done or not done um typically the more engaging the product it is that's the main area where we see engagement differences so outside of gaming for example um we've we've done this with like ancestry.com as an example um you're not going to get the same percentage of engagement but you're still going to get more than a significant amount of spread across that that group and in that case like we can deploy in uh, you know, in in the website through um we've even done through email. Um, I think we did text message once. So there's a lot of ways we can do that. The idea, the main idea though, why we like to do it in a in a game or through the app is because we want to pass that URL variable. So on the back end in the future, you have the API so that you can personalize things to that that group. Where like we have companies that create first-time user experience funnels. There's a word game that the people that were higher IQ with higher education got bigger words to spell early on in the experience, mm. um, so they're able to take that on the API side. So we can do it without transferring that ID, but then you sort of lose uh, lose that. Um, I don't know. Hope, hopefully, that answered the the full question.
0: Eric's very engaged. He'll let us know. Okay.
1: okay. Yeah, Eric. Let <laughs> me
0: know. Let me know if if there's more to that all right Jeff, a lot of great stuff i love talking about this i used to read nlp type of books instant rapport was one of my favorite books early in my 20s so anything that talks about more of the psychological aspect of things like it's something that joe like honestly when i looked at it i'll be, I'll be like mm, joe come on it's kind of like woo woo type of stuff and then as you get talking about it, i'm like this actually makes sense mm-hmm. you know what i mean like we do like have just this like onboarding experience of just like super basic stuff. But then when you can put tie in emotions and as a marketer for me, I'm always like, go on emotion, like play off the emotion. Mm-hmm. But then when I'm building these like screens and UX
1: experiences, it goes to wayside for some yep. reason. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, and we don't have the support systems for it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I built my whole career in UX and UX design and I was a UX director at McCann Erickson, like big ad agency. And mm-hmm. we build these experiences. And literally how I sit there and go, who am I building this for? Dan, Dan is a 27 year old male. He likes tech. He, you know, it's like, this is if, if I had to buy Dan a Christmas present, I am going to fail. Like (laughs) this is going to be a really crappy Christmas present, you know? And if you think of like the people in your life who, you know, really well, um, you know, maybe it's your partner, maybe it's your best friend. I hope you can buy a better present for them than some other app developer or some game designer could. And the reason why you can is it's all the, the, you know, you might say it's subconscious related stuff, but it's actually because you understand their personality. You understand um, sort of their, their, the, the mind behind the person Um, you know, how, like culturally, what are they like personality? What are they like? Um, Yeah. Emotions are a part of that cognitive landscape, but it's not everything. You know, sometimes if you overweigh on emotions, because emotions are fleeting, they come and go like clouds you know, but some people have emotional styles. So that's a little bit more interesting. So Solson tends to focus on what are the, what are the enduring things about a person? You know, and that's the thing, like your interests change. So, you know, your best friend knows you from high school and they're like, yeah, you know what? Um, uh, like he loves these, these CDs. These are like really cool CDs that he, it's like, if you just keep that static image of that person, it's like, that's they are probably not first off CDs are maybe not a relevant technology anymore, but, maybe this person is like, I saw this thing on like, in like South Korea where like CD players are coming back for like some people. So it's like, maybe they're really into that style or that fashion, but like, you'd have to really know the person to know that about them and know that that's, you know, that's interesting. So what we're able to do is basically like a lot of designers, product developers come to us. um, Like the former VP of strategy at Activision. She was like, I felt like um, I would have like five crayons to build things. But after Solston, I have like, all the crayons. And I know that my audience really likes magenta and teal and yellow. Uh, And then I can use those colors to craft something that I know is going to be really, really cool. So that that, the, the hard part about this is, is, you know what? A lot of people. uh... (laughs) I was going to interrupt
0: you, but this is a great way to interrupt you. All right. Luke says, I have a range of physical, Prop board games, murder mystery games. Luke, hit me up, dude. I love this stuff. I get forty thousand website users per month, and over ten thousand people have asked to be on my email list for when I release the next game. Consultant, give me good info. on What types of apps, games these people might use if I build it?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's Short a answer yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect use case. So like we would, we would assess um, that that list or that audience, and we'd literally be able to give you in in order um, themes, IPs, tropes Um. Basically, you're you're starting from their their center, so that's like that's an exact use case.
0: I love it. I got one more question for you, Joe. But before we get into that question, let's do some app audits. And I like to start off every app audit with some dad jokes.
1: All right, Joe, you're the guest. Got it ready to go. All right. You know, so, so I, I was briefed that this might be a part of this and I'm going to be honest. Um, we're, I don't know if anyone has watched the, the great on Hulu. Um, there's, there's a phenomenal dad joke that happens at some point in that show. And I was like, I need to go find that joke and then got by the wayside. So I I was like, okay, I have to rely on just some of the classics, which, um, (laughs) I think my favorite probably is super lame. Um, what did the plate say to the other plate? What? Lunch is on me. All right. I like it. It's brutal.
0: All right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll let the audience decide. Okay. All right. Joe, I got this. Uh, What do you call a group of fat babies? I know I'm going there. All right. (laughs) Heavy infantry. (laughs) Infantry. I said it wrong. There you you go. All All right. All right. Put S if you thought my joke was better. Put J if you thought... (laughs) <laughs> Joe's joke was better and then Joe we're playing for dinner all right whenever we oh, see each other sounds, that sounds dinner like a dinner or drinks that's Paraka. awesome love the great okay so the people put in the comments and then if you want to for us to look at your app on a future live stream we do have a long wait but just go to appmasters.com cool. slash audit all well, right cool. let's take a look at Eric oh that's why Eric's here all right Eric we're looking at Eric's app all right this is Eric Schneider he's been asking all the questions Joe try to pick some games for you as well. But he's got this tiny, and then Eric says, keyword optimization. This is my most popular game, and it's published by Blue Ox, and it seems like it has enough installs and daily users that we should be able to do better. I'm hoping you can give some advice on some keyword ideas. I might be interested. Okay. Uh, And some consultation. Okay. All that other stuff we can talk about one-on-one. Cool. Cool. Uh, Keyword optimization. You have, you want to start anywhere?
1: So let me, I'm actually like, I'm just gonna open up our product. Um, so okay. crosswords. Okay. I, I think yeah, maybe maybe just to, to start here. So wh- how we would typically approach something like this because it's a it's it's a crossword puzzle game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and tiny little crosswords. Tiny so what we problems. what we would do is we'd we'd launch an audience of people that play crossword games, and we'd start to look at at the data. So I'm gonna pull up on the back end um, our one of our it might take a second. I'm gonna message one of our engineers okay. um, to make sure Still I can get ac- access to it. But I'd want to look at, like, in our case, we have broad genres, So this would fit under puzzle. So what I want to look at is, um, first off, uh, what is some kind of from a creative perspective? What resonates with these people? What are the yeah. types of games they play What other IP are they interacting? That's where I'm going to start before I start to go to keywords. Um, the reason for that is when we see uh, creative optimization, it accounts for about 50% of your marketing ROI compared to keyword optimization. Uh, keyword optimization ends up being, and this might be different for your product specifically. um, But in that case, we tend to focus on that first. So I would want to be looking at your, like your, your key icon, um, doing some testing there, some of those screens, that's where we'd want to start. And we'd want to be doing that off of some of the values. So let me get, I'll get the puzzle audience up and um, show you guys what, what some of those things are, or or tell you guys what some of those things are. Um, And in terms of keywords, if we're looking at puzzle, um, let me get, let me get back on, cause that we actually in the product, um, we drop, uh, keywords and copy words based on the psychology of the audience. So if you can give hmm. me one second, I'll okay. open up the product. Also so the I'm-
0: time from an SEO perspective for Eric, cool. look, Eric, I agree with Joe completely because that's the first thing I notice and crossword, I've got some experience in it. Like it is going to be hard for you to rank. So you're going to have to figure out. Like beyond ASO, what is it? What's the funnel? ASO is just one part of the funnel. It doesn't have to be an entire funnel, right? We work with a lot of clients that use rely on meta, Apple search ads, TikTok, you name it, whatever ad channel that's out there, they they focus on it. So I don't think it's too much of a keyword play for you, given that the competition is very, very heavy. The thing that you can try to test out is you're not utilizing... The US App Store is indexed by... Nine other localizations, including Spanish Mexico, which we've used for so long, you know, Arabic, Vietnamese, I think French too. Look it up. I've got some videos on it, but you want to put a different subtitle in the Spanish Mexico. If U.S. is a primary market, you want to have different subtitles in there, different, you know, title too, to try to optimize for it. But again, I kind of agree with Joe here. Like the visuals is what I would probably lean on because I just don't think from a keyword aso purely organic downloads perspective you're you're going against some of the behemoths out there so the other tricks i can tell you is maybe lead with crosswords versus not and so that's one way to do it because we have seen autofill work pretty well for other clients where they're not ranking high for that primary keyword but they are showing up for the autofill of that primary keyword. that might be another way to kind of tackle this part
1: but you had the data for me Um, yeah, unfortunately I'm, we, we just migrated our whole demo system that has all this stuff. And I'm talking to the the engineer right now. I think what, what I'd be happy to do is send this over separately. So we're not like taking too much time here. Um, but I think I could just from, from recall and memory, I can, I can tell you this. So, um, I do, I do know that people that play puzzle, um, if we look at their key motivators, so we look at things like, status orientation we look at things like um uh eagerness to learn a lot of different traits the number one trait that we see from just an intrinsic motivation perspective um with with puzzle games in general is this trait called pride and productivity so it's literally a motivation for how much have i done and achieved and can i be proud about that afterwards Mm -hmm. so when we look at like word optimization whether it's in in, and i kind of look at just in the copy, you know, if we say like a little crossword with a big twist, can you figure it out? Where Where I'm coming from is how are we actually targeting key key motivators? So, is there anything in here that you're actually going to pull on some of those strings from a motivational perspective? And like, um, you know, the the tiny little crossword, for example, um, what I what I would guess is, and I would love to see this audience. I would love to actually look at who they are because that's where we tend to lean on science. But it's probably a lot of people who. Are optimizing from a time perspective and yeah. getting that feeling of like being productive and working with smaller, smaller crosswords, and they can check, you know, do more, do more in less time. So if we're thinking of, of the words that we're using to optimize for that, uh, I think that, you know, anything that's around, you know, um, achieve, accomplish, get things done. Um, if you're just thinking of the, the actual copy itself and then in terms of like, uh, doing an actual, um, audit from a a search perspective, that's like a much bigger activity where you're going to have to, I mean, you're going to have to employ, I think someone like Steve, what I would love to do is give Steve someone like our product. So he's actually able to do that work and then look at the motivations of of that group, then understand who they are and then understand what they're actually going out and searching. So it's very hard to actually know that without understanding the the different aspects of that that audience so i know that wasn't that's not super helpful because i don't literally have this up to look at it <laughs> i'm not just going to give you flaky advice either
0: no i agree i i'm not like that either eric says well yeah that makes sense in tlc users tiny little crosswords thanks eric i had to do the abbreviation for you complete puzzle packs and daily puzzles i see in my solitaire card games that users love statistics and see how they've done also
1: yeah exactly right. eric it. so So if you look at like we had one puzzle game, for example, that wasn't doing as well, um, but their IP was geared a little bit differently. So we looked at that audience and um, that that company had uh, they had personas and they called them completionists. So, um, you know, completionism isn't really a trait as much as it is a behavior. Like we complete things we enjoy, so to speak. And so we looked at their psychology of this game and this group had really high levels of status orientation. So actually in the other game where they were not completing stuff, it was the same user IDs, like just add some stuff where, you know, Hey, you're on a leaderboard now there's high levels of status, et cetera. And that's part of what made that game unique is they were able to sort of acquire this, this abnormal group in the puzzle space that had high status orientation. But what I've seen like literally with every single puzzle game we've worked on um, is a high motivation in general for pride in productivity. And so that's where, yeah, showing basically letting people be proud of of how they've been productive. So what are the tropes and mechanics you can use there? And then how do you actually place that? So when you you go to place that in the creative, what I would want to see with like tidy little crosswords is who's your market now? And then based on that, we could get an idea of, who are the other, what are the other products that they're using? What are the other experiences that they're they're engaged with? And then from, from that, we get an idea of like the delta of the bigger market that's there. And maybe some of the, if we think of a Venn diagram, um, what are some of the art styles or themes? Like we got to have a lot, a lot of black and white going on right there. That might be great, but we might also see that there's other things we can do. I, I know I mentioned that Dragon Dragonvale example with going from red baby dragon to baby dragon following, you know, kind of- family with family. And that was 34% conversion increase on top of anything they'd done in eight years. And this is like a game that made hundreds of millions of dollars. So in that, in that sense, like a lot can happen from those things first. And then those things provide, I think a lot of the foundation for, I kind of view like the, the keyword stuff as like that comes after we take care of. Um I, I really think creative optimization are that like, that's the foundation. That's the, the basement level, um, that, that we want to build. And then we can build, build on top of that. So I would rather you, um, not be kind of like squeezing the last parts of the lemon juice out and really kind of getting to the, the fundamental.
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing I can say too, with Eric, for Eric is like using some of that knowledge that Joe has just talked about and putting it on the onboarding. Cause the onboarding was like, do you want a tutorial? And then boom. Right. And one of the best practices, Eric is having your paywall during the onboarding. You don't really have a paywall because besides like this, unlock all puzzles here, but you can you know, lean in on the motivation of like, you know get more done in less time type of thing. And then do you want to unlock all your puzzles? Because the first, the onboarding experience is where most people are going to buy. And so I would probably put that in here. And okay, good. I have, I see this. So I like this. I think, I don't know how you feel about this, Joe, but I would almost want a, its own individual paywall. I like yeah. the the showing two options. That's what I was hoping he would do. But I almost want like this to be a nice visual element because it feels it's bland to me. But I don't know if that's going to impact
1: anything. So what? Yeah. What? What? So is is this maybe to to ask a question? Um. When you when you surface this, what point do you surface it in the experience? Right. And is this the is is it just kind of a subs- like it's a one time purchase on it's a lock- one
0: time purchase? Yeah. And
1: and looks it's, like it's one. Someone- and is that it we just yeah
0: so i clicked on like world of entertainment and okay. so for those who might just be listening to the podcast we're in the app and we're trying to unlock one of the puzzle pieces and then what eric has done is says that you can unlock all for one for ten dollars or buy just that pack for which i like i wanted to see it but at the same time i'd almost want a visual not just a little apple alert you know pop up you know, like the push notification pop-ups that you have, the ATT pop-ups, that's what it looks like right now.
1: Yeah. So so I think on, on our end, you know, with, with these types, we obviously like to get something to move more towards some sort of subscription. It's just a better business model Agreed. for you. So that's, you know, I think actually going back and thinking about your business model, because this is nice when you're a startup, like you got to bring in money, You're there's something that's there that's, but it's long-term, you know, it's, it's, it's going to have a limit. It's going to have an upper limit. And what we talk about a lot is like high value conversion items. So you can actually think of it as a, and you might already know this high value conversion puzzle. So what you actually would want to understand is like what puzzle Mm -hmm. within this experience is actually the puzzle that is converting the most. And if you think of kind of building a, a journey for your, your audience from day zero, like when is it, how do you nurture them into that puzzle and then if you think of like you're thinking of this in terms of like time to value so where where on that journey do they get to that puzzle and then after that puzzle how are we surfacing a, a high value conversion moment or high value conversion item in this case you can already start with with an offer to you know hey maybe you want to unlock this but what we also see is you know based on different like with puzzle games for example based on different personality types one of the biggest challenges is difficulty uh, tuning. So we'll see people that are like really high on resilience tend to convert after they've like failed like four times, mm-hmm. um, and then people that are really low on psychological resilience um, they'll they'll churn if something's too difficult for them. So we had a we had one um, actual it was a word puzzle game, and their day seven retention uh, was like around fifteen percent. It went up to twenty seven percent. Because all they did was difficulty tune, so they just made sure that that high value conversion moment was based off of kind of challenge. So I think what you can do is, if you don't want to be super sophisticated about that, um, you know, even if you don't use a, pro, a customer like Solston, sending out a basic survey to your customers, getting a, an idea of education level can actually go a really long way. If your average like if your average education level in the game is somebody with a master's or a PhD. And you go to like a high value conversion moment. It's probably going to be you're going to want to focus on a more challenging puzzle. And how are you nurturing them into that more challenging puzzle earlier on? Um, because oh, it's tough. This is really fun. I want to buy more. Versus, hey, our, our average user is a is a high school student, or um, you know, they're they're maybe in their 40s, but they um, they only graduated. They did some college, for yeah. example. And so I think what you want to really discover is what is your high value conversion moment, and then ideally, what's your high value conversion item, and what sort of subscription might you be able to create out of a uh, out of this? Like we in games, we think of it as like a battle pass.
0: Yeah, I love it. And he does. I have ver- versions of doing or visions of doing subscriptions for my next game. Awesome, Eric's ultimate. Yeah, Eric it does work. I, a friend of mine has a crossword puzzle, and he does subscription. And he does pretty well in the app space. So
1: yeah, I, Eric, I think the the main thing we see. Is like these these types of games they just have upper limits because we'll have yeah. smaller companies come to us and say hey we're we're looking for a publisher or you know here's where we're at what do we do and we've been getting some traction and usually like there there's revenue that's there and it and it looks good but the big guys think like if you look at an Activision or a Supercell you know they're thinking they're like this game has to make at least a billion dollars and yeah. then there's a certain it's- level of of architecture that that game has to have to support that that. So I kind of look at it as an entrepreneur's journey, like these types of products are um, what they really are. And I think what you have, Eric, is like, I think of it as like product sentiment fit, where you have like you, you've captured a really powerful sentiment within the market. And then you're generating revenue within that. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, of course, how do you how do you then take that gravitas yeah, and, and channel that into your billion dollar product? So, if we think of like um calm as an as an app example, um they actually the first thing that they released was a a web application that you had to hold your mouse still for like two minutes, yeah, and then if you held your yeah, if you held your mouse still, you could share it on social media. um and that was what they used to kind of convert people through that. Um backflip games is another example. So this reminds me of I think it was called paper toss. so i'm I'm good friends with Julian who founded Backflip. And uh, Paper Toss was literally like, uh, I think, buy for 99 cents when it started out. And all you did was, you know, throw paper into like a basket. It was was kind of like pretty simple game, kind of addicting. Um, They had that. Well, a lot of people don't know is that's a big part of how they generated a lot of the organic underflow for Dragonvale. So I think what's cool about, you know, being an entrepreneur, being in the space, what, you know, Eric, I think just understanding what audience you've already captured that other people haven't been able to capture. And then that helps you build that journey out for them. And that helps you create your universe. I think going back to IDFA and a lot of the problems that are happening there, um, what we see is this is part of why game companies are acquiring more games because then they can keep them in their universe. So the next level of competition is going to be about what is the universe of audience that you know is like Disney versus Nintendo. You can think of it on a micro level. Like if you understand Tiny Crossword People better than anyone else. Well, what's the next adjacent thing? So you're building out the affinities of of that audience, and really thinking about you know if you're if you're having in-app purchases, um, it's nice to sort of think like Disneyland. You know, you you buy the ticket to go to Disneyland. Um, if you're Kanye and Beyonce, you can stay in the tower for $40,000 a night, you know, which I think they do like once a year, but like there's club 33. I think that costs like $250,000 a year to stay to subscribe to club 33 membership, you know, and that's that restaurant. But it's like, you can also bring a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some water and enjoy the park. And so they're able to convert across different price tiers. And so almost like going into, you know, I love the idea where, where you're going with your next experience. But thinking in terms of, like, how are you converting across across different price tiers? Um, and then that way you're able to cater to a lot of different revenue and income streams. Yeah. Um, and this seems like, to me, this seems like a really kind of cool um, viral product that you're actually able to build and, and uh, make money off of right now.
0: Yeah nothing happened, Eric, after I finished that puzzle, nothing happened. Like, you didn't give me that moment to share kind of like home day, right? Like they do, Hey, finish this meditation. You can, they can share it on social media and tons of people are sharing on social media. All right. Yeah. Joe, that, that's, a really, be...
1: that's a really good one. Just to add on that, Steve, cause that was a great <laughs> idea. I don't want to <laughs> let it slip. Right, all right. You know, that's that pride and productivity piece. So we said right. that that was one of the major motivations for puzzle people. Hey, I did this many puzzles in this, you know, today, and they're able to, that's literally letting them show that pride and productivity.
0: Well, and, you know, it was because of what you were saying too, Joe, that I was like, yo, all you, cause I am that type of person, you know, I want to, you know, I played pickleball and I was like, I want to get a medal on this like thing, you know, I want first, I want medal. And I needed that for, for me, for, you know, the medal is important. So and you're just giving me a check mark and I'm like, Eric, I I want to feel bright in this. And you're just giving me a little check mark for this. Like, come on, give me something.
1: Exactly. Oh, yeah. I finally, I finally... I got the the dash. I got it from our engineer. I got the dashboard out. If you guys want to just know, like maybe just some of their interest categories, sure, I go. can drop that. So if you look at the, um, so this, this is interesting. So if we look at just the puzzle space in, in general. There's, there's seven major personas. So think of it as Harry Potter, seven major groups that we see. This is a living breathing thing. And if we look across The, the market, um, the biggest group contains about 152 million people. Um, probably the group that, that I'm really interested in is, um, there's this group that's about 109 million people. Um, but they have a little bit higher, uh, what we call player centered score. So I'm going to jump in and I'm going to talk about some of their, their activities and and interests here, uh, real quick. You can't share what you're seeing.
0: And unfortunately, I I can't, I wish I could.
1: Um, you know, so if you look at like the other games that they're playing, there's a lot of like this, and I think this is really interesting. So this would include, you know, people that are playing these sort of games, but there's a lot of like homescapes, gardenscapes. Um, of course there's Sudoku in there, but like wordscapes, words with friends, um, merge mansion. So what we always say, like from a categorical perspective, when you start to see certain patterns in a space, like homescapes, gardenscapes merge, you know, you can take tropes from some of those categories and interject them into what you're doing and it can create a really, really cool unique experience. Um, education wise, basically, pretty much all of these um, groups have at least college degrees, um, you know, master's master's level. So I think that's really interesting. If we've got like the top traits for, I would say like this is probably one of the highest um, LTV groups in the that has still like a big population size. Pretty high, pretty high motivation for um, fearlessness. Um, meaning, like what we see okay. from a conversion perspective is, are they allowed to take risks in that experience? Um, so, where are the moments where what we see um, with conversion moments too with people with fearlessness? Hey, this is this is a challenger puzzle. This is one of our toughest puzzles. If you buy X, um, it's going to help you on your journey through this puzzle. So, you know, is there is there something? There that can happen that's usually a big conversion moment that might be one more thing you could add from a purchase perspective that might be you know outside of being able to unlock everything Mm -hmm. um so maybe there's some some high level stuff there that's kind of interesting
0: i love it joe i was thinking like eric's giving away a lot of hints like you know the high motivation like the high reward type of the the fearlessness i'm just like I, that was the initial thing I kept tapping. I was like, look, that's a lot of freaking hints that you're giving away. And yeah. it doesn't feel like it's a challenge to me anymore, given that you're giving away so many hints. Like, I don't know, as you were talking about that, I was like, this is what I felt when I initially saw this, the number of hints it was an like 80. I was like, that's feels like a lot.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a lot of hints. And so that's like, so that's a perfect example of, of that fearlessness motivation. So if you yeah. let people know like, Hey, this is a really hard hard one or there's a challenging one and if you buy a hint you get your hint package so right. like let me let me buy X amount of hints um that's gonna be pretty cool and that also would be a really nice friction point to get people into buying the if you want to go for the full purchase like oh you know what I've paid for so many hints in the last couple of weeks like I should just buy the whole thing like if that's kind of if, if that business model works for you but I think hints are something that you can definitely, definitely leverage. All right. I love it. All right. Are you on time? We challenge your puzzle. Love it. So all great stuff. All right,
0: Joe, you're gonna have to trust me here, but I tallied up the score as we're going through and won by one vote. All right. So I was up by two and then barely won by one. So James, thanks to you. I won (laughs) the first round. All right, well, let's go into round two. Where's my sound effects? All right, Joe, you want me to go first? You want to go first? Uh, I'll let you go first this time. Okay. I I do have one more that I pulled up. This one isn't that good. All right. A caveman and a bear walk into a bar. Bartender says, okay, what's your story? Caveman replies,
1: bear with me. There you go. All right. Um, I think I'm like, I I got some on my phone and I'm like, these are just all so bad. Um, Me too. I
0: take literally (laughs) screenshots. My family, like,
1: they'll hear the screenshot noise, like, oh, dad found a dad joke. All right. Um, Why don't scientists trust atoms? Why? They make up everything.
0: I love it. All right. Same thing. (laughs) Same rules. Okay. JRS. Hey, Joe, I do want to ask you this. Like, of the questionnaires, what do you feel like is the one most important thing? So I'm sure the audience would love to use Olsen, but if there's like something that we can start acting, inputting into getting like user feedback, what's the one question that you feel like reveals
1: so much more? About a person or about an yeah. audience? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so and so and so a lot of people have always kind of like defaulted to NPS. And I'll so I'll start with what doesn't work and what does what it does tell you. Um so I think like you know when you ask, hey, would you share this experience with a, a friend, how likely are you to do that? Right. Um you know typically what we actually see is some of the best products um, early on can have um, actually some like pretty bad NPS scores. Um, And we actually see sometimes some of the most engaged players um, write the worst store reviews. So like when we were at big fish, like scathing reviews, one star, I don't trust the developers. This company's bullshit. We'd go back and look at that person and go, Hey, this guy's one of our top spenders, you know? (laughs) So I think what you're, what you actually need to be more interested in is, is how much do people care? And so as as a part of that um, we looked at emotions, for example, and, and game engagement and said, can we see anything from this? And what we actually mm-hmm. saw was, you know, are you happy with the experience? So the more happy people were when they, when they played games or engaged with, with apps actually had nothing to do with uh, LTV of, of the customer. In fact, it, it showed nothing. So, what we actually saw did though was how labile emotions were, meaning, um, did they have highs and lows? And so, like kind of looking at your product as what you're going for is a heartbeat. You want a living thing. Only dead things have flat lines. So we want something that is actually giving people, of course, we don't want you know crazy super lows, but don't take it personally when you get that worst review ever. That might have been someone who really cared. So one of the questions that we like on um on the UX side of things, and we measure this, this UX metric called endurability. Endurability is the likelihood that a person is going to engage in your spirit experience over a long period of time. What's so cool about this endurability metric is that when we actually collect, we in, in, in integrate with most of the games we work with. So we actually get to see the LTV data from the game. And what's really cool about endurability is over 90% of the time, this metric is actually correlating with LTV. And we're talking like actual long-term LTV. So we'll have games that we work with early on and they say hey these you know these are our power users these are our best users and we'll look at them and like that's persona two let's look at persona four um persona four actually has a higher endurability durability level with your game i bet you when it comes to day 300 they're going to outspend the ones you're talking about right now day 300 comes around and like we've seen it for five years in a row now sure enough it happened again. They outspent them. And so what what question can you ask? Well, this is now where we get into solston territory where, you know, surveys. So if you ask one question of a person, this is part of the problem with NPS2. Um, we talk about things like construct validity. So am I measuring what I intend to measure? Um, reliability. If I ask you that question now and in a year from now, are you going to answer the same or differently? Like if I ask you, for example, how happy are you? um Let's say you say out of scale of one to 10 and you say eight. Okay. Like that might, that might be that. And I ask you again in a year from now and you say six, that's not good reliability. We're, we're changing sort of things. And, and of course, like your happiness is, is going to be changing. That question actually has very poor construct validity as well for measuring happiness. So we know that when you ask someone how happy they are, it's actually not indicative at all. If anything, the one thing where it gets a little bit of signal for is actually indulgence, so people that on average tend to say they're happier when asked tend to be slightly more indulgent than people that that don't. But there's a lot of better questions to measure indulgence. So what I'm going to give you guys is a freebie. So a question that what we tend to look at is like, what are items, when we say items, we mean questions that perform really well to measure certain things. The reality is, is you need to typically ask multiple questions to actually get at an accurate measure of a thing. So you can't just say here's the one question but one question if i was to say if you want to better understand you know is is this going well or not um you want to ask in in your way uh how worthwhile is something to somebody that's probably the most powerful question you can ask related to product because that loads on uh, in durability as a construct and what you're actually understanding by by asking how worthwhile something is you're asking them not about relevance um not about, did they click it and go into it? Uh, we we did this with one of, it's a massive IP. Uh, we were optimizing some creative for them based on their their audience. And they came to us and they said, this is our best performing creative. It's got like, like millions and millions of installs and the CPIs are ridiculously low. Well, so we're talking about relevance. We're talking about novelty here. I said, well, what's the problem? And I said, well, the return on ad spend is abysmal. Like the people that do install from it, from it, don't spend. Um, we looked at the creative and what was there. And there was literally zero resonance, zero endurability in terms of the people that were coming in. The product market fit was very, very off. So it was, it was showing something very different than what the experience was. And I said, we want to make creative that, yes, this may be incredible from a CPI perspective, from an install perspective, but you got two options. Either you're changing the game and the game is already a big game that was really profitable, um, doing really well. Uh, or where you know, going back and changing the creative, what do you want to do? Change the creative. So what we want to do is find creatives or early experiences that are enduring. So like um, Eric, back to your crossword puzzle, if you went through all your different levels and you had your customers and you said, you know, which of these levels is the most worthwhile for you? That's gonna be really good insight in terms of of what is actually the one experience in there that they're gonna that's gonna keep them coming back. Over a long period of time and that that's back to my Disneyland example, you want to build Disneyland, you want people coming back in two years spending money and being like, yeah, this is still great. This is we still love this because once if they're in your universe, still, that allows you to build other products and move them through your uh, universe, which is pretty cool.
0: I love that. Worthwhile. I love it. I've already clipped it up. So we're going to definitely show that. All right, Joe, you won this last round. So we're tied, but let's get into the other Eric's app real quick and see if we can zoom past this, but he, he wants driving you rent venue and becoming profitable. So Eric's the other Eric Benoit, I think he's got this ballpark deal and it's a rental property calculator. So cool. here I'm going to pull up the iOS version here and then you want to
1: Do you want to say, look, you're a big creative guy. So I'm going to hold here and let you take the floor, Joe. Yeah. So I guess like I'm going to have, I'm going to have more questions before I have answers. So, uh, rental, (laughs) rental calculator, ballpark deal. All right. So who is there? What we usually notice with, with apps like this is there's usually a specific market that you've been able to capture early on. Can you tell me what you might know about them so far? So Eric's here. We launched, we just launched subscriptions last week. Okay. Congrats, Eric.
0: And then we'll get. I'm gonna assume for like these Airbnb people. Let's see what he says.
1: Is this this US market? Is it a certain state? Um
0: good question. Real estate investors and agents.
1: In the in the US, and is it a, people buying rental property? I'm say
0: I'm gonna assume it's yeah, 95% US.
1: Okay and is it a certain certain state? And do you know anything demographically about them either? Like age range. you like to know it all huh, Joe. Let's well, it's, you know, and this, this comes back to it's what, what we don't want to do is cowboy uh, cowboy marketing and cowboy UX. Um, What's that mean? What's a cowboy analogy from? <laughs> so you can go, you can Google it, type in like all right. co- type in cowboy UX okay. um, and cowboy UX or cowboy marketing is jumping in, jumping to conclusions Without really understanding the the market, who it's for, um, what their core needs are, like what are their pain points, what are, so if, if you were to work with Solston, we're going to ask you a lot of these questions, you know, beforehand, and we're going to take what you know, and then and we'll get to like some there's general heuristics that we you know things we can do here, but really what what we don't want to do is just like hey here's advice and here's unsolicited advice that is an, an opinion. So if we look at like what the approach we would take at Solston. So I'll, maybe I'll start there and then we can jump in the product. So right now, if we're looking at rental calculator, <laughs> he says, I don't know, but likely
0: 35 to 55 okay. and he is a cowboy. <laughs>
1: That's All right. We, we work with cowboys too. So, and, and, and we, we kind of go more towards the, the calculator approach. So like, if we're looking at rental calculator, um, you know, ballpark deal, and we're starting with, iconography, color, everything that's here. The first thing that Solston's is going to do is say, well, you know, who's using this right now? And we'd want to actually send out our assessment to them to get an idea of who they are. And then we'd want to know like your competitors and what the bigger part, like what else are they using and how we start yeah. to take over uh, that as well.
0: Yeah, he says it's a tool to analyze whether a rental property would be profitable or not, decide whether it should buy or not.
1: Super, super cool. And so like my first first question is, is that, you know, do you know if um, these are just people that are straight up going for rental properties or do you have an Airbnb part of this segment too?
0: Yeah. Deal check is the competitor. Deal check's the competitor. Okay. Okay. And I mean, I would lead with that, right? Like, I don't know, Joe, you tell me, but like Eric said, tool to analyze whether a rental property will be profitable. And then it's kind of like, you're not saying that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you told so that, me that, but you're not saying that in the screenshots.
1: Yeah. So the the steps you want to go through without, seeing what Solston says is first, you start with your ICP. Who is my ideal customer profile? You have to know that better than your competitor. The second, you have to know what are their pain points. So what are the, what are the pains that, you know, Hey, I, it's, I don't know if this rental property is going to be profitable or not. Right. Um, and then what you do. So if you're thinking the top of your funnel, top of funnel is all about building interest and then addressing pain. Once you've done that well, now you get to your value prop we do this at X percent better or this X percent faster or whatever that is. And so when we look at like the screenshots, that's what I, that's the journey I'd want to be going through. So if we just purely look at the the business and you probably already have a lot of intuition around this, like what are the, from your ideal customer profile, what are their biggest pains? I think Steve was already touching that. What are their biggest pains? And it's kind of like screen to screen to screen. Think of that actually as a user journey. I'm going left to right. And it's like, um, you know, find out how much a a property is, is worth, uh, you know, or, or know what's the best deal. If we look at the, the calculator start stuff. So I'm just speaking from my past career as a UX director at big agencies, we deal with something called cognitive load a lot. And what, what we're starting with here is a very high cognitive load. So people kind of, what you want to do is this thing called progressive disclosure. So, if you are able to interact with this calculator, that's awesome, but let's do that towards the end after we've really driven home the value props. I'm seeing these like value props that are, you know, calculate cash flow for a rental property. I want to get hit with my key pain point so hard in that first thing. And then same with um, you know, iconography. This is you're kind of hearing a theme here. So, back to this is from Neil Nielsen and all the research they have. Creative optimization accounts for 50% Of your marketing and what's there. All the other stuff, if we're talking about brand, keyword optimization, targeting, that's all the other 50%. And brand, um, I always say this to new startups Um, brand is, you know, if you look at big companies, Apple's, these kind of groups, it's all about brand. Brand is the privilege you get to focus on when you get past, you know, 20, 30, 50 million in revenue. Um, That's when brand starts to be the thing. Before then, it's all about the fundamentals. And so, what I would do is, and I see see Steve nodding it. his head, yeah. but like what I want to do before that is look at like the icon here. I see a house and a calculator, but what is what is there from a, a brand perspective that's also, you know, or not from a but from a um a pain point perspective that's pulling me in. And so I would I would wanna probably iterate on on that a little bit. And I would want to definitely iterate on um the value props that are shown. With uh, with these different images here, and then I think there's a lot you can do um with you know keyword optimization and things like that. Post posts getting that done. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to go on the FOMO or like the fear aspect
0: of things when I'm thinking about marketing copy, it's almost like I don't want to lose money, right? Like you want to invest smartly, you want to really figure out, know the numbers. You know, these are things that I'm fearful of if I'm gonna go into real estate. I'm like. Hey, is this going to be profitable for me? Am I going to lose money? And that's it. Yeah. Everything else, like, you know, it's like doing your taxes. You, I, I never want to do it. Right. Like, and I'm just like, ugh. and this feels that way to the cognitive disload or what, yeah, like, well, there's a lot going on here.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, um, like, like compare it maybe to like, what is it called? Um, air DNA. I know that's, you can, you can go and look and discover, um, You know what what features should be in an Airbnb? How do you make Airbnbs profitable? That's it's it's kind of like it's the same. So one of the things you can do is look at, you know, who are good tech companies, good competitors, what are their value props? To obviously you can you can do that, but what how you're gonna really win in the market? Like what we would do at Solston is we would say, let's launch an audience of people that do real estate investment. And when we'd look through we'd look for a really interesting group of people that um, you know, use more apps, use technology. And then we'd start to focus on their motivations. And so to your point, Steve, you know, if, if they're, you know, um, higher on, on things like extroversion, if they do have more risk taking aspects to them, FOMO can be great. Um, FOMO can also turn off some audiences too, though. So, you know, a lot of times we, we play with those insights and we AB test. Um, part of, I think, you know, before knowing the audience, it's, it's a It's ye who experiments the fastest wins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know how many people you have going through this, but one of your goals early on is to get your, get that top of funnel of when we think of marketing, you need to create that inflow of people and then test, 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 test. That's how backflip games got to the red baby dragon you know they start to get people going through that installing and then they see wow red baby dragon's performing, performing better than anything else let's get red baby dragon in there that icon's like that that first thing that sort of brings people into the the, the product and i'm like is is a calculator with a home on it if i think of um is this the best rental property cuz what you're playing with is metaphor here so your symbol is a value prop for what i should be doing is is that symbol telling me that I'm gonna be able to, to get this. And then in the first screen is what's the imagery in there. Is that the aha moment from that? So I think that there's a lot from there that you can already play with and getting people through and just A B testing. And I could see like things getting better there. But the second part is, you know, even if you're not working with a Solston, calling up um like a lot of the big games and big apps that get launched in the United States, they literally start so small. Like there's a um a game called Toy Blast that was made by a bunch of Turkish developers. And they found a group of women who are like in their forties who like no joke. um, Their favorite movie was dirty dancing and favorite book was the Bible. And they're like, we are going to make something just for this group of people. And so if you look at like, I would look at who are your current like high engaged users. And I would call them up and I would get to know them. If you haven't already, I'd get to know them yeah. incredibly well.
0: He's got 5k people using it a month. Yeah. So that's awesome.
1: So, hey, I, yeah. have, you done, have you done a survey with them yet and started asking them about their, their behaviors and who they are and where they get the most value from your product and what moments are, are really powerful, worthwhile, as, as we said earlier? So
0: I'm going to go into the app itself, and then I got a hard stop in five minutes. So I'm going to go through this okay. real quick for you, Eric. But yes, he said long way back. But Eric, like when I went to the app, you're just loading me right into the calculator. You want to have an onboarding experience. We have this case study of an app where he was just putting his paywall, one of the best practices. show your paywall during the onboarding process. And he was just showing his paywall. He's making money, by the way. And then he added to what Joe's been talking about, a lot of more benefit-oriented stuff, more psychological stuff, like make a resume that wins interviews. Yes, that's exactly what you want. A recruiter-tested CV maker model, resumes, templates built to impress. And then he showed the paywall, and he saw a – 234% 234% increase. And this is for one of his smaller apps, but it's some of his bigger apps, He's seen like a 30% increase. So you want to have an onboarding process and show that paywall during the, at the end of it. I love apps like these Joe, because it's so niche that you should understand your users like in and out, right? Like, yeah. you know, the benefits and the more niche it is, because it's rental property calculator. That's where there's high intent, High engagement, the 5,000 monthly users. You're not even asking for a review and also like higher conversions. And so I think you're charging a little bit too low, but I don't know the market any uh, well that well, but oh, it's 20 bucks a month. Okay. That's not bad. I put a yearly option. Here's what I found from my data. Eric, I believe in the rule of threes. I believe you should have three plans. One, you can have the monthly plan. You should have a yearly plan, and then you should have a complete decoy plan that gets them in either into the monthly or the yearly, whatever your highest LTV plan is going to be. Because we've seen the more plans you have, this is a yes or no decision. If you have those three plans, like I laid out, it's either where's the value. I'm Because it's a niche app, I'm already coming in with the intent and there's high intent, high conversions. So let them choose which one is the most valuable For them. And for an app like this, I would actually explore a weekly option because weekly options are starting to, because I have to assume this person might be in in a deal, in a rush. I need a calculator. I don't want to put spreadsheets anymore. So think about a weekly option. I'd go weekly, monthly, and yearly. And I force people, depending on your LTV, maybe monthly makes sense, but force people into either the weekly or the yearly plan. They tend to have longer LTV than the monthly plan.
1: Yeah, and just to add to what Steve said, just already what's on here, like finally a rental calculator that works. If I got hit with that, like in that first kind of opening up of the the screen, yeah. I'm already so much like this is actually I would be one of your your customers for this. So, I'd be someone who would download this and probably look at it. And if I got hit with that, I'm way more likely to to get in and totally agree with what Steve said. We want people to get into the yearly plans ideally. And so, you know, you can price that out in a way that that makes it Look very appealing to get into a yearly plan. Exactly, exactly. It
0: gets a hundred bucks for a year, yep. and then this—I love this message. I'm at 42 properties and about to close on three more. I've used this app to evaluate each one. Like it's perfect. Like this social proof. He has a lot of properties. If it's working for him. Cool. You
1: know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. What's what's what we talked about before? Addressing pain point. So yeah. you're using your own user pain point. Lots of properties. Okay. Then there. What is the value prop? So the the user's doing it for you. So I really like that.
0: Yeah. One of the things I like to do too, Joe is like, I like to go into my competitors app and just read through the reviews and see what people love and people, what people don't like. And then I, I can then sort of, it gives me inspiration in terms of like what I can use. I forgot what they called it. Uh, but it's like, what kind of messaging I can put in to my app. Yep.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, and that's where Solston, you know, a lot of that people come to us at, at that stage, like, I think you can get pretty far through um, working with competitors and what's there, but mm-hmm. when you're, it's like, everyone's heard this, you know, if you're always swimming, you know, to the, to the gold medalist, you'll always be the silver medalist. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to Michael Phelps and said, Hey, you know, who are you competing against? He, no one himself. Yeah. And so what we really want, like what Steve, like, I think what you're saying, if you're, you know, if you have a, if you have a small budget um, looking at competitors it is a great way to get, you know, uplift, uh, and, and move your metrics, but Solston's really in the interest of, um, we're interested in making billion dollar companies. We want to help people get big and we want to help people maintain those. And so what we don't want to do is limit that for you. So then the way that happens is with you understand the pain points and the value props better than those people. And you might have something that they don't have. And so we want you to be able to own that. And then they're looking to you because you're the bigger competitor, um, to them. So, that being said, totally, totally agree, though, when you get that or like if you go on their Instagram page sometimes and look at, hey, what posts did people like the most of that you can rip that out and, and leverage something like that. So those are like those are, I think, very um, entrepreneur. It's like the first stage of the business, very entrepreneurial, experimental. Let's get this to at least a baseline. But then that next stage of the business, you're going to want to know your audience better than than they know theirs. I love it.
0: The website is solston.io, Solston's.io. If you don't know how to spell it, don't worry. It's already linked up in your favorite podcast app or your YouTube description. And I have it pulled up right here
1: as well. Joe, if the audience wants to connect with you in any other way, do you want to send them anywhere else? Yeah, you can, I mean, you can connect with me on LinkedIn um, and definitely respond, respond there. Otherwise, if you're like interested in kind of what your own profile might look like, we did a pro bono thing during COVID. It's just wellbeing.solston.io. And you can actually see your psych profile. So that's not a, it's not an adaptive test like the one we sent out and it's a bit longer, but it's actually, it's a, it's a medical grade test. Um, it's anonymous. So you just get an ID at the end. It actually doesn't take any identity, no email. This is not a marketing funnel for us. It's literally just your chance to the same thing. You would spend like a thousand dollars at seeing a psychologist. Um, we just put it out there for free. Cause People were struggling during COVID and we just kept it up as a way you can see like your motivations, wow. your personality stuff. It's kind of cool.
0: That's really neat. And then Eric says, Thank you, Steve and Joe. So yeah, all that, really all that cool. is linked up. I'll link up the well being, but Joe's LinkedIn profile is linked up into the show notes. He's got shorter hair. So you might even be like, this is the same person. Yeah, yeah, he's got shorter hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The beard, beard and longer hair
1: right now. So yeah, yeah. same person though.
0: Joe, this is um, such an enlightening conversation, man. I really, it was definitely worthwhile, my friend. Thank yes. you so much for coming on and doing this. Thank you guys. And go check out Solston.io as well. All right, Thanks, that's it. Oh, right. next week we're going to have, let me just plug next week real quick. Uh, uh, oh yeah, we're going to have a friend of mine who's an indie developer, very successful. We're going to really break down some of the copy, some of the strategies that he shared with me in terms of like winning back users, ASO, everything you need from an indie developer. He's done really well. So we're going to have him on. He agreed to come on and share some of the stuff that I've already started sharing for him. So let's see what he's going to be on next week. Join us every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific. Thank you, Joe, for going a little bit longer than usual. People are still here. So I love it. Thank you so (laughs) much. All right. Have a great weekend. See you guys. Bye. Next. Tired of overpaying for app store optimization? Get unlimited ASO and app marketing support to increase your keyword rankings, downloads, and more importantly, your revenue. Learn more at asomasters.com. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing
1: content, check out appmasters.co.